0: Let's pray. Lord God, we are here before you this morning, standing before you and before your word, and we ask that, that you would speak to us through your scripture this morning, that we would know you shepherding, guiding us, and that our hearts and our minds would be receptive soil, ready to receive the things that you want to speak to us and the things that you want to do in and through us pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For the last year or so, my family has been enjoying a reality show together called The Great British Bake Off. Uh, Many of you are probably familiar with this. It is a reality show without all of the drama. It's uh, a reality show that's very low stakes Um, Probably the worst thing that can happen on the show is a baker might mix up their salt and their sugar Ruining the the thing they're working on Um, People are not super competitive or mean with each other Um, It's just a nice feel-good show making everyone who watch it um, Feel like we could totally be a baker if only we had the time and then Suddenly, with the the arrival of COVID-19 and our uh, our country shutting down, so many of us found that we have finally had the extra time on our hands uh, to take up this new hobby of baking, and so many Americans did. For those first several weeks of the the shutdown, you could not find flour or butter, baking soda on the shelves of grocery stores anywhere because everyone was buying all of the baking supplies they needed uh, to become a great baker. Suddenly, we all had the time to sit around and watch bread rise. And people were posting online tips about how to use a sourdough starter. Uh, We were all experimenting with baking bread today's scripture is all about bread and specifically about Jesus's claims to be bread from heaven that brings life. And all of this, this passage that we just read in John chapter six happens against the backdrop of the Passover feast. During Passover for Israel, this was a time where they would stop and feast together to remember God delivering them through Moses from the hands of Pharaoh in Egypt. They were delivered from slavery, they were brought through the waters, and they were delivered onto the other side, and as they wandered in the desert on the way to the promised land, God fed them bread from heaven. And so as, as people, they would, during the, the, the time of the Passover feast, they would be reading and recounting these stories in the synagogue and around their tables. The story of God's deliverance and his miraculous provision for them. And so during this season, this time of Passover, where they would eat the Passover lamb, There's there's one passage that they would have read together and it came from Joshua chapter 5 and it recounts the final days that they received manna or bread from heaven in the desert. And it was the final days that they received this was right after the first Passover that was celebrated in the promised land. And the very next day, the bread from heaven ceased to arrive. And many believed that there was a great storehouse in heaven that this bread had been supplied from. And on that day when they had the the Passover in the promised land, that the storehouse of heaven was closed up. But that one day One greater than Moses, a prophet, a deliverer, a true king, was going to arrive and bring about a second exodus, a second deliverance, and he would provide bread from heaven. That storehouse would be opened up again, and once more the Israelites would be fed in abundance from the hand of God. And now, With all of this in the background and going on in the minds of the Israelite people, Jesus has shown up on the scene and he has miraculously fed over 5,000 people on a hillside. He fed them a miraculous bread to the point that everyone had eaten all they wanted and there was still left over. If bread was being miraculously provided, then did it mean that the storehouse of heaven had been reopened? And if it did, then is this Jesus, the Messiah? Was this the one that they had been waiting for? See, as the people were looking forward to a prophet like Moses who would lead them out of bondage, Here comes Jesus seeming to fulfill all that they had been longing for. And so is it any wonder that the people who had witnessed and experienced this miraculous feeding would then seek to make Jesus king by force? And after this happens, after the people have have been fed to the full, they're trying to make Jesus king by force, Jesus... uh, escapes from them across the water, then we have this this discourse, this conversation that was happening in the synagogue between uh, some of the Jewish people and Jesus. And here they were having a, a conversation around bread, bread from heaven, and Jesus as this bread from heaven, bread that must be eaten to bring eternal life. So the conversation starts because the synagogue crowd is offering Jesus a challenge. They're saying if you are claiming to be the Messiah, which it really looks like, then what sign, what proof can you provide that you really are this Messiah sent from God? And so first, Jesus responds to this challenge by by clarifying something, by clarifying who actually provided the bread in the first place in the wilderness. It wasn't Moses, he says, but in fact, it was God. God is the one who had sent bread from heaven. And then Jesus goes on to claim that God, in fact, had sent him. And that, in fact, he is that bread sent by God. Bread that brings true eternal life, not just temporary life, but bread that has to be consumed, received, taken in, in order to bring life. And that this living bread must become a dying bread in order to bring true life to those who eat it. And this proves to be a hard pill to swallow. And many are offended and even horrified at Jesus' claims that that they must eat of his body and drink of his blood. And many stop following him, his disciples included. So now that we've got a good overview of this this passage here in chapter 6, we're going to spend the rest of our time looking at the claim that Jesus made to be bread- from heaven. With the declaration, I am the bread of life, Jesus is setting a table for humanity, and the food that he serves at the table is nothing less than his very life. He had already set a table or a feast on the hillside when the crowds had been miraculously fed bread from heaven, and he acted like a host at a banquet, inviting the crowd's Blessing the food, feeding the guests an abundance of food until they couldn't eat anymore. And now he is unveiling an even greater reality, a table that he is setting for the world, a banquet that all are invited to, where the bread that's served won't just fill a belly temporarily, but will bring true and everlasting life. This feast or banquet language is found throughout Scripture. The prophets looked forward to the day that God would feed his people in abundance. He would prepare a feast for them and swallow up death forever. He would wipe every tear from every face. The Scriptures and the prophets looked forward to a day when the fields would have grain in abundance and God would feed his people plenty so that all are satisfied and he was pour out his spirit on all people men and women young and old jesus often spoke also of wedding banquets and feasts in the kingdom of god where all are invited to join in the celebration and the eating so it's no wonder that when people are fed miraculously In abundance on the hillside, they begin to think of all of the feasting promises in Scripture that pointed to God's good plans to redeem and restore creation and His people. And now Jesus continues this feasting language as He speaks about Himself as the bread of life, bread that has come from heaven to give life. And not just life to the Jews, but Jesus sets a banquet table for the entire world. For those of you who have had any part in planning a banquet of any kind, maybe a wedding or other large group gathering around a meal, you know the nightmare that it is to organize a seating chart all of the different guests that are gonna be coming to your celebration and you have to try to figure out uh, where to seat them all. You try to uh, group certain people together based on what they have in common and keep people apart based on their differences. You try to take into account personality, marital status, age, Political persuasion, who used to date who and is now broken up, uh, what family members don't get along, uh, what friends can't stand each other, and you put people at separate tables to try to keep the peace and to try to make uh, a semblance of a happy gathering. But it is not so in the kingdom of God. At the banquet that Jesus prepares, there aren't a bunch of separate tables to keep the peace. Instead, Jesus sets one table. He sets one table where he gives life to the entire world. Verses 32 and 33 of John chapter 6, we read, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus speaks about this gift of bread being for the entire world, for whoever would come, and for anyone who eats of it. He upended some people's expectations of God sending a Messiah for the Jews, and instead he stresses that he was sent for the world, for the Jew and the Gentile. In this one claim, Jesus has offered radical hospitality, open to all at his one table. The Passover meal that the Jewish people were celebrating when Jesus spoke was was communal. If you didn't have enough people in your household to be able to eat an entire Passover lamb, you were to invite other people to come in and join the banquet with you. They were, were, inviting friends and neighbors, extended family members, and scripture made clear that they were also to invite the stranger, the sojourner, the immigrant and foreigner to be included at the table with them. And Jesus offers this same hospitality at his table where he is the Passover lamb that is served and feasted on. It's a table that's meant to be open to all, all are welcome and included. The stranger and the immigrant are welcomed, the same as the native-born and the family member. And at this feast, Jesus sets, there is unity around one table. There is no table for the Jews and another for the Gentiles, no table for the rich and another for the poor, no table for White and another for black. No Asian table or indigenous table and Latino table. No women's table and men's table. No Republican table and Democrat table. No singles table and married table. No kids table and grown-up's table. No progressive table and conservative table. No table for Americans and another for immigrants. No table for Catholics and another for Protestants and another for Orthodox Christians. No table for those we like and get along with and another for those we find irritating or annoying or hard to love. Jesus doesn't set separate tables for us. But by our very inclusion in the body of Christ, we are united together as one. He doesn't accommodate our divisions of the world by race, class, gender, ethnicity, nationality, politics, doctrinal differences, age, physical or mental abilities, or any other division. Instead, he invites us all to sit with him at one table in his kingdom, all of us included together in the universal church. No one has more value or esteem. None has supremacy except Christ Jesus. In her book, Healing Our Broken Humanity, Grace Jisoon Kim writes, in Asian cultures, eating and sitting around the table is an act of welcome and hospitality. Sitting around the table is a vision of family, friends and strangers coming together to share life together. The table is an important symbol of life, respect, and welcome. Traditionally in Korea, the table is usually low and round, and people sit on the floor around it. This means there is no need for chairs, so many people can gather around. If friends or strangers drop by, there's always they're always welcome to sit at the table and join in the meal. Furthermore, food is cut up into little pieces so that one can pick all of it up with chopsticks. There's no need for forks or knives to cut up the meat placed on one's plate. The act of cutting up food while cooking also allows for visitors to come in any time to join a meal. This is in contrast to the West, where families often need to know exactly how many people are going to eat in order to prepare the exact number of pieces of steak or chicken per person. Grace continues by writing, In my childhood in Korea, we all sat on the floor around the table. We always welcomed neighborhood kids and friends to stop by and eat anytime. And there was always room at the table. This is a powerful symbol of hospitality and embrace. The new people that Jesus had in mind are a hospitable, welcoming, open, and generous people we have responded to Jesus's welcome at the table as we are recipients of Jesus's divine hospitality. We invite people of all nations, languages, cultures, and colors to our table. We offer this hospitality to each other and to the world. Sometimes while we ourselves are foreigners or displaced or sojourners, more often we welcome outsiders to our local culture. You see, the only logical response to this kind, being on this kind of the receiving end of hospitality from Jesus, is to extend this hospitality to others. And so, for those of us who have found our hunger satisfied in the bread of Jesus, we are like beggars who have found a feast of bread and are inviting other beggars to come. Share in the abundance. This one table that Jesus sets is open to all. All are made equal. And as 1 Corinthians 12 describes, the parts that are weaker or have been dishonored are given more honor. Some are raised up, and those who have been elevated above others are brought low so that we can all sit at one table. Some of us raised up, others brought low so that we can sit as equals at the table that jesus sets at this banquet that jesus has prepared there is one table and there is one meal at this table all are offered the same meal the sacrificed body of jesus In the ancient world, being invited to a banquet wasn't just a social occasion to be entertained or just an opportunity for your social status to be affirmed or lifted up. But it was also, at the most basic level, an opportunity for you to eat all you wanted and to be full and to eat all you wanted of food that you actually liked and enjoyed. This is something that we take for granted uh, for the most part in America because we have an abundance of food available to us. But for most of history and for most of the world, this is not their reality. And so eating at a banquet was an opportunity to be fed to the full. And this is what Jesus offers to a hungry world. He offers Bread that brings life, a bread that will fill your hunger. Bread that doesn't run out, and all who will come to him won't hunger again, won't thirst again. This is an amazing promise from Jesus. In him alone is life. He is the bread that we eat and the cup that we drink. There is no other way to find life. But the the paradox of this meal is that the life it brings comes through Jesus' death. Flesh given for us. And the only way to eat his body and to drink of his blood is if he dies. Apart from his death, there is no life for us. His death necessary for our life. So Jesus reveals that this bread offered to us is sacrificial. He is the sacrificial lamb offered for us to feast on. We were given a hint of this earlier in John when John the Baptist spots Jesus in the distance and declares, Behold the Lamb of God, the sacrificial lamb, the Passover lamb that was sacrificed and consumed by Israel. Jesus loved the world that he was compelled to sacrifice himself for the sake of his creation. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. The joy set before him was us, was you and your friends and your enemies, the world. This was the joy set before Jesus, the reason that he endured the cross, the reason that he willingly sacrificed himself. The gift that Jesus gives us is a sacrificial love, willing to lay everything down for the sake of others. And if we are following him, we have to follow him into his death, which means we follow him into sacrificial love. A sacrificial love that causes us to lay down our rights, our privileges, our selfishness and self-preservation, All for the sake of loving others. And we've seen this on display lately, these last few months in the body of Christ, as people have willingly chosen to wear masks to show their love for their neighbor. People have been giving sacrificially of their finances to families in need and to organizations in order to help provide food and to to offset or replace lost income. People have willingly been following health officials' guidance uh, to stay home and to sacrifice for others. As Christians, we know what it means to sacrifice for others and not just think about ourselves because our very life is a gift given to us, a sacrificial act on our behalf by Jesus. So at this one table, we eat one meal a sacrificial meal and we are invited to eat and drink of it. Anytime a meal is placed before us we have to decide to eat it or not. The requirements of this meal that Jesus offers is eating and drinking of Jesus, taking his life into our own life, becoming one with him. We have to receive the gift of his life offered for our own. Like bread that only nourishes us if we consume it. Jesus, as the bread of life, must be consumed as well. And going back to that language of banquet and feasting, we need to feast on Jesus. That he would be what we consume. He would be what nourishes us and brings us life. He would be what we focus on. He would be the center of our very lives. He would be our everything. We abide in him, and he abides in us. Jesus in us. For many of those listening to Jesus' teaching, this was too much. They couldn't get past the language that seemed grotesquely cannibalistic. Uh, they, They couldn't get past this to see the invitation to find life in Jesus. And so many were confused, many were offended, and even his own disciples questioned and left him. Verse 66 in in John chapter 6 is one of the saddest verses for me in Scripture. A verse that says that after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Will we choose this morning to abide in him and to make space for him to abide in us? See, Jesus has set a banquet before us. All are invited to this table, equals together in Christ. And whoever chooses to respond to the invitation to come and feast on the bread of life that he offers will not hunger but instead, we'll find eternal life. May we be a people who come to the table, sit together as equals, and follow Jesus in his sacrificial love for all. And would we choose to feast on Jesus, the true bread of life? Do you join me in prayer? Jesus, we, we thank you for the amazing, overwhelming, abundant gift of life that you have offered to us. God, we thank you for the way that you sacrificed yourself on our behalf. We thank you for the gift of life that you have offered to all. God, we receive this gift this morning with humility and with thanksgiving. And we ask that, that your life in us would cause us to be a people who do live out your call to sacrificial love on behalf of others. Lord, would we see your kingdom come, your will being done here on earth as in heaven, as you live and move and breathe through us, through your people, the universal church. We pray all of this in Jesus' name.